This morning, we're going to continue our series, A Journey to Christmas. And we've been looking at a few of the characters or the players that are part of what we traditionally call the Christmas story. As a staff, we're each taking a week. And last week, Pastor Mark and Suzanne, they talked about the star of the show. They talked about Jesus. He's the star, right? And um, if you missed last Sunday, I'm going to encourage you, go back and listen to it. There's just some great perspective on who Jesus is and his heart. And, I mean, you can retrieve any of our sermons, but I thought last week, just having that picture of Jesus and from before the beginning of time to Christmas, there was so much that he poured out. And this week, I'm going to be speaking. Next week, Pastor Paul is going to be presenting one more uh, person of the Christmas story. But as we get started today, we're going to talk about someone that doesn't usually get a ton of press. There's not a lot that gets mentioned about him. You know, Jesus, we talked about him last week. He's the star of the show. And we like to talk a lot about Mary. She's the round yon virgin. She's the mother of Jesus. She's the the pregnant woman riding on a donkey. Um, We talk about her, but today we're going to look at the life of Joseph. And Joseph, we know, was the man who was the earthly father of Jesus. But there's not a lot written about him in Scripture. Outside of the the account of Jesus' birth in Matthew 1 and 2, and then in Luke chapter 2, he's only mentioned not even a handful of times. And it's usually in reference to him being the father of Jesus, or Jesus being his son. Um, So both Luke and John write that different people would ask concerning Jesus, isn't this the son of Joseph? So that's a lot of the reference that we get throughout Scripture. And when I say throughout Scripture, the handful of times that he's mentioned outside of the, the, the birth stories. But here's the deal. Even though we don't have many of the details of his life, we can develop a picture of this man from what Scripture does tell us. And if we step back from what we do read, we can kind of get a macro view of who Joseph was. We can pause and reflect on how God would put together the family into which Jesus was born. Because he was put into a family a marital unit. This was the first child. So God the Father has planned out with great meticulousness every detail concerning his son coming to earth in flesh and blood. And as such, he would take great care to make sure that his son, the Savior of the world, was placed in a family that was devoted to him. So let's take a look at what we can observe from the life of Joseph and see what principles we can apply for our own lives. And one of the first things that I notice about Joseph, this isn't rocket science, but Joseph is an ordinary man. In Matthew 13, 55, where his hometown is talking about Jesus and marveling at his teaching, they ask, Is not this the carpenter's son? Is not his mother called Mary? And are not his brothers James and Joseph and Simon and Judas? In this verse, we observe a couple of things. One is that he was a carpenter. In other words, he was a working man. He didn't have a lot of money, but he was a man that worked with his hands to build and repair household furniture. 
He repaired tables and chairs. He probably also worked on carts and wagons for farmers or oars and masts for, for fishermen. He may have made doors and windows and other things for houses. Essentially, he was a man of the trades, working hard to please his customers and earning enough to provide for his family. I think that's kind of relatable. Speaking of family, we can observe that he was a family man. We know that he was married to Mary and that he was the earthly father of Jesus. And here in this verse we, that we just read, we can see that Jesus had brothers. James, Joseph, also known as Junior, uh, Simon, and Judas. And Mark 6.3 speaks of Jesus having sisters as well. So we can see that Joseph had a wife and several kids throughout his life. And I think that many of us can relate to this kind of ordinariness. Having a spouse, having kids, growing up in a family with kids, or we've got nieces and nephews, whatever it might be, there's that ordinariness of having family. And Joseph was a family man. As we look at Joseph's life, we also notice that he had fears. You're like, hmm, didn't think of that. But Matthew 2.22 tells us about Joseph as he's returning with Mary and little Jesus from Egypt. And we read this about Joseph. But when he heard that Archelaus was reigning over Judea in place of his father Herod, he was afraid to go there. And being warned in a dream, he withdrew to the district of Galilee. I don't know about you, but I kind of find that to be a relatable thing, that he had fears. He had situations pop up in his life that caused him to be anxious, to be concerned, to be worried, to just have fear, like, what is going to happen next? I, you know, it might be even a thing that God has called you to do, but you have fear about it because it's unknown. You just wonder what's going to happen next. And one final thing that I notice about Joseph regarding his ordinariness is that he faced challenges in life. I don't know about you, but I feel like I face challenges relatively frequently. There's always something that pops up that you have to deal with, you have to confront, you have to just manage and overcome. And in addition to the verse that we just read, we can observe in Matthew chapter 1 that while he and Mary were betrothed to each other, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. So while they were legally pledged to be married, back then betrothal was a year-long process, and it was a legal binding contract that they were married even though they didn't come together for a year. And during that time... Mary is found to be pregnant. I've tried to put myself in Joseph's shoes. That would be a huge challenge to figure out. What am I going to do? What are we going to do? Maybe I don't want to do anything. But this is a significant challenge for him to face, and it rocks his world. He is dealing with it, and he's trying to figure out what to do, how to move forward, how do I handle this, what should I do, what would be the best thing. And I think most of us in the room face challenges that can throw us off balance for a bit. And it's in this view of Joseph being a common, ordinary man that I feel we can pull out a principle for our own lives. You see, God was purposeful in selecting Joseph to be the earthly father of Jesus. And from all accounts, there was nothing extraordinary about Joseph, the man. Yet God had a purpose and a plan for him 
in his ordinary life. And as we read through his story, and we'll get to some of that story more in a few moments, we see that God asked him to do specific things to accomplish his purposes and to fulfill prophecy. And Joseph had to choose how he would respond. And I think the same holds true for us today. And we must ask ourselves, I think, this question. Even in my ordinary life, what might God be asking me to do in order to accomplish his purposes? I may not feel extraordinary. Some of you feel extra. Some of you just feel ordinary. And God may be calling you, no matter how you feel, to do something new. It may be big or it may be small, but he wants to accomplish his purposes through you, even in your common, ordinary life. So as I look at Joseph's life, I begin by seeing that he's ordinary. He's a working man earning a living. He's a family man with a wife and several kids. He has fears and anxieties, and he has to face challenges throughout his life. So let's observe another trait from Joseph's life. And let's read from Matthew chapter 1 concerning his account of Jesus' birth. It says, in ver- starting in verse 18, Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, Behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel which means God with us. And when Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. Now, in verse 19, we notice that there is an initial description of Joseph, that he was a just man. He was characterized as an upstanding individual, He was righteous in the things that he did, and he followed the Lord in all his ways. Not that he was perfect, but he sought to follow the Lord with all of his heart, mind, soul, and strength. And because of him being this just man, we also see that he had a tender and merciful heart. Even though Mary was found to be pregnant during their betrothal period, which would have been an unconscionable act, back in their tradition, he was unwilling to put her to shame. In other words, he could have made a public spectacle of Mary and the fact that she was pregnant and that it happened while they were betrothed and that he was not the father, that they had not engaged in physical intimacy and as such, he had every right under the law to have Mary punished. But even before the angel came to him in the dream, that was not the option that Joseph was wanting to pursue. He didn't want to shame her publicly. He didn't want to cause undue hardship for her. He didn't want to cause her a lifetime of grief 
and pain. He simply wanted and was considering, I think I'm just going to divorce her quietly. We're just going to separate. The betrothal period will be done. It'll be broken. But we'll just kind of let her kind of be on her way. And we just won't have anything to do with each other anymore. And he was, in that sense, amicable about it. He was just saying, I do care for her. I do have a, a concern for her. And I think in that whole vein, it shows that he had concern for others and what might be the result for them because of his actions. We see that he still loved Mary and was concerned for her well-being despite the hurt and stress that he was feeling with the knowledge that she was pregnant during their betrothal period. We see this also in Luke 2 when he and Mary famously left Jesus behind in Jerusalem after the Passover. Quick side note, as parents or responsible adults, we may have had those moments when we lost a child in a store or left them in church. Yes. I thought you had them. Oh, no. I thought you did. But think about it. Jesus, Joseph and Mary lost the Savior of the world. The Son of God. I can only imagine that conversation. Mary, what are we going to do? We've got big problems. We lost the Messiah. Oy vey. Do you think God's going to be mad? You know, I, I can only imagine some of those, those conversations that they would have been having. But we do learn that they returned to Jerusalem. They searched for him for three days. And they finally found Jesus where? In the temple. Of course, why not? That's where every 12-year-old boy wants to go, to the temple. And in verse 48, we read this about their reunion. And when his parents saw him, they were astonished. And his mother said to him, Son, why have you treated us so? Behold, your father and I have been searching for you in great distress. Joseph was concerned for Jesus. Joseph had a desire to take care of this son that God had placed in his care. And he was in great distress looking for him, searching high and low for Jesus, going through all of Jerusalem for three days, trying to find him and be assured that Jesus was safe and secure. And in this idea of Joseph being a just man, a man who's tender-hearted with concern for others, I see another principle that we can consider for our own lives. As you and I go through our days, our weeks, our years, I think we should continually be assessing how concerned am I for other people around me? Do I have a tender heart toward those close to me and toward people in general? Or do I have an attitude that asserts that my way needs to prevail? Does our heart call for my rights to be asserted when I have been wronged? Or am I willing to put my rights aside because of the mercy and love that I have received? And I simply want to give mercy and love as well. So we have seen that Jesus was, a, or Joseph was, an ordinary man. And here we saw that he was a just man with a tender heart and concern for others. But let's look at one final quality from Joseph's life. And it's this. Joseph was faithfully obedient. As an outflow of Joseph being known as a just man, we can see several examples of him being faithful to the Lord 
and obeying his instructions. And this gets played out in different ways in Joseph's life. One way we see his obedience is in his response to the Lord's specific directions to him. In Matthew 1 and 2, we observe that an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream on four different occasions. I think that's pretty remarkable. Four different occasions, an angel of the Lord comes to Joseph in a dream and tells him what to do. I don't know, but the dreams that I've had, I'm not even sure what I would do with them most of the time. So it's good that Joseph had that and didn't just chalk it up to some you know, bad meat or cheese or whatever he might have been eating. But Joseph obeys then those, distru- those directions that are given to him by the angel. Remember earlier how we read in Matthew 1, 20 and 21, but as he considered these things, remember he was trying out or figuring out how to handle the challenge of Mary being pregnant. Behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son and you shall call his name Jesus. For he will save his people from their sins. And if we go just a couple verses later, we read in verses 24 and 25 that when Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. So the angel comes in a dream and says, I know what you've been considering and thinking, but here's what the Lord wants you to do. So Joseph then got up, took Mary to be his wife, and when she gave birth, he called the boy Jesus, just like the angel instructed. If we drop down into Matthew chapter 2, verse 13, we read of another angelic dream after the wise men have left to return home. Here we read, Now when they had departed, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, Rise, take the child and his mother and flee to Egypt and remain there until I tell you. For Herod is about to search for the child to destroy him. And then in verses 14 and 15, we observe how Joseph goes on to respond. And he rose and took the child and his mother by night and departed to Egypt and remained there until the death of Herod. This was to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Out of Egypt, I called my son. Here the angel gives him an urgent directive that will save Jesus' young life. This was not a time for him to quibble. It was not a time for him to, let me, let me just think about this for a little while. In the middle of the night then, Joseph gets up, packs up everything that they have, takes Mary and Jesus on this journey to Egypt. He doesn't pause to consider it. He doesn't think, was that just bad cheese? He understood that the directive from the Lord was from him and that he acted immediately on it. In one sense, it didn't matter how disruptive this would be to him or his family. I mean, who likes to get their kids out of bed in the middle of the night? Yeah, not many hands going up for that. Um, So, But Joseph did that. He grabbed Mary, he grabbed Jesus, and they, they left. They got out of Dodge because the angel had said that trouble was coming if they didn't. And so he knew that the Lord told him to do this, so he was going to do it. Now, those are two of the four dreams where Joseph is given instructions, and you can read the other ones at the end of Matthew chapter 2. But I want us to look at another way that we can observe 
Joseph's faithful obedience, and that is in his observance to God's law. As a Jew, he had the great heritage of God's law being given to his people. And he had chosen to seek God with all of his heart, with all of his mind, with all of his soul, and with all of his strength, and to follow the Lord as faithfully as he could. That's also why we read that he was considered a just man. So as we read through Luke chapter 2, we see several concrete examples of Joseph faithfully observing the law of the Lord. One example is in Luke 2.21, which tells us, And at the end of eight days, when he was circumcised, he being Jesus, he was called Jesus, the name given by the angel before he was conceived in his womb. And in having Jesus circumcised at this eighth day of life, Joseph was following the instruction that had been given to Father Abraham around 1,800 years earlier. God spoke to Abraham in Genesis 17:12 and gave him this command, He who is eight days old among you shall be circumcised. Every male throughout your generations, whether born in your house or bought with your money from any foreigner who is not of your offspring. So everyone that was a Jew, every male was to be circumcised. And they were to do this on the eighth day of their life. And Joseph went ahead and followed that directive from God's law to remain in alignment with what God had commanded. We also read another example in uh, Luke 2, 22-24, regarding uh, another tradition that needed to be carried out as far as childbirth was concerned. Luke 2.22 starts, And when the time came for their purification according to the law of Moses, they brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every male who first opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord. And to offer a sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. Here, Joseph is going with the the law that had been given back in Leviticus chapter 12, which discusses the period of time after childbirth. So the first 40 days after um, a woman has given birth to a child, she was considered unclean. At the end of that period, she she and her family were to bring an offering to the Lord and Give that to him. So Joseph obeys those requirements of law in reverence to the Lord. And in addition, we read that every male who first opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord. So they're also presenting Jesus as the firstborn to the Lord. And just saying, we're not, we're not retaining him. We are giving him. You've given him to us. We are giving him back to you. And so Joseph is following those traditions and those Uh, commandments that have been given by the Lord to his people. One more example can be found in Luke 2, 41 and 42. And it says, Now his parents, and this is speaking of Joseph and Mary, went to Jerusalem every year at the feast of the Passover. And when he was 12 years old, they went up according to custom. Here again, Joseph is obeying the Mosaic law in observing the Passover. It was a holy and solemn event that was to be done before the Lord, commemorating the Lord's deliverance of Israel out of slavery in Egypt. And in Deuteronomy 16, the Lord had told Moses and Israel 
that they are not to observe Passover in any of their own towns, but that they were to observe it in the place that he would choose after they entered the promised land. The city of Jerusalem was that place that was later chosen by God where he was going to dwell in the midst of his people, that that is where he was going to establish not only the, the political authority for Israel, but that's where his temple would be, and that he would be there. That would be the center of Jewish worship. And so Joseph adheres to this, and he takes Mary, he takes Joseph, and they go, or Jesus, and they go up to Jerusalem, and he adheres to these, uh, the, the festival, the feast of the Passover, in commemorating what the Lord had already done. Now, one final way that we see Joseph's faithful obedience comes as he obeys the government decree. We see this at the beginning of Luke chapter 2. This is something that was read most of the time on Christmas Eve. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria. And all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth, to Judea, the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. Now, while this decree came from the emperor, and it would have been very disruptive to Joseph and his way of life, I imagine that Joseph essentially just had complete trust and sovereignty in God. And that he had the perspective that God had instituted the authority of the government over him. He may not have liked the decree. I mean, it's disruptive. You're having to pack everything up. You've got your betrothed wife who is very pregnant, and you're going to pack her up, take her to a place. You're not even sure how long it's going to be. But... He said, I'm going to follow what God has ordained, like what the, the government is decreeing. And so he takes his wife and goes. He may, again, he may not have liked the decree. He may not have even liked the Roman authority over his nation. But as he trusted God and desired to be faithful to him, he knew that he could express that trust and faithfulness by being a good and proper citizen and obeying the laws and directives of the government, especially those that did not go against the law of the Lord. So as we consider Joseph's faithful obedience to the Lord, let's look at one final principle for our own lives. Joseph faithfully obeyed the Lord through the specific directions he was given, through God's law and through the institution of government. So I think it is appropriate to ask ourselves this. As I continue to grow in the Lord, in what areas is the Lord asking me to faithfully obey? Has the Lord been asking me to do something specific, and how have I responded to his request? Or is there an area from the Word of God, the Bible, that I'm needing to obey and step into alignment with him as he is showing that to me? Or is there authority over me? Is it government, employment, family authority, etc.? Which I need to honor the Lord in and become obedient to. 
I'm going to ask the worship team to, to come to the platform at this time. And as we begin to close, this morning we've made a few observations concerning the life of Joseph. And I want us to just consider them once again. Because I think we can see some applications for our own lives. We have seen that Joseph was an ordinary man, that there was nothing super special about him, yet even in his ordinariness, God used him to accomplish his great purpose and plan. And we can ask ourselves, even in my ordinary life, what might God be asking me to do in order to accomplish his purposes? We've also seen that he was a just man with a kind and tender heart, and he had concern for others. And as a result, we can continually assess our lives and ask ourselves, how concerned am I for other people around me? And lastly, we've seen that Joseph was faithfully obedient, that he strived to obey and to be faithful to the Lord in all of his ways. And he faithfully obeyed specific directions he was given, he obeyed God's law, and he obeyed the government. And here again, we can ask ourselves, as I continue to grow in the Lord, in what areas is the Lord asking me to faithfully obey? Would you stand with me as we close in prayer this morning? Heavenly Father, first and foremost, we thank you for your great love for us. We thank you for your word that you've given us and for what you have shown us today through your word. And we, as your children, stand here today and we know that you've been speaking to our hearts in a variety of ways. That you've been encouraging some of us with words of truth and hope and you're inviting some of us to grow deeper in you. To have a tender heart and a concern for others. To faithfully obey you in what you are calling them to do. So we humbly ask for your grace this morning. We ask for your strength to move forward in those things. We're thankful that you invite us to continue to walk with you, but you don't just invite us and then abandon us. You invite us and you walk with us. So Lord, we just stand in your presence in humility and we ask for your grace and your strength to help us. Holy Spirit, guide us and give us your wisdom in all of these things, in all of these things that you've been speaking to us this morning. And through it all, Lord, be glorified in your kingdom. In Jesus' name. The worship team is going to lead us in a song. And I encourage you to take a few moments to worship the Lord, to contemplate the things that the Lord may have been speaking to you this morning, asking you to step into, inviting you into that, and see how the Lord might be moving you in that direction. So let's consider those things and worship the Lord together.